Absolutely. Ms. Craig, remember Kenny Murdoch as well? Yes. Okay. Salvation. Yes. What is it? Okay. Healing in the body. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are, God, concerned intimately with every single need. I pray, Father, for this one, for Letha, her uncle, the situation. I ask, Lord God, that you would comfort, and Lord God, that you would just cause this transitioning, Lord God, just to be smooth and joy-filled. Lord, I pray for this child who has this tumor, Lord. I ask, God, that you would guide the hands of the surgeons, Lord, that you would cause complete and total restoration. I pray for this body with the with this pain, Lord God, the situation in the joints. I ask, Lord God, for that you would minister your healing grace even now in the name of Jesus. And, Lord God, I pray for those who need salvation in our families, Lord. I ask, Lord God, that as we sit in this day, Lord God, and look, Lord, and become sign observers, Lord, that we would be moved, Lord God, to reach out, Lord God, and to proclaim the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. All right, so we're going to continue studying our end times, and as he said, if you didn't, if you missed out last week, then go back and, and pick that up. It'll be it'll be important for the totality of the study. Now, I gave you last week the the interpretive structures, interpretive systems, the wait, let me say it right, the systems of interpretation in orthodoxy. Now, that to you, I may have said something, you went, what did you just say? It's not that hard. Now, it sounds really complicated, but the reason I start there is if you are doing a study of the end times and you don't understand the, the orthodox systems of interpretation, you can listen to someone, and they sound great, but you don't understand what is their system of interpretation. You're going to have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and a you're going to have this cocktail of interpretation that's going to just leave you more confused at the end of the day. So that's super important. And we talked about amillennialism. That's an terp- interpretation structure. That the amillennialists, they're going to find them in Reformed theology. Reformed theology, what is that? That's your Methodists. That's your Lutherans. That's your Presbyterians. What do they not believe in? They don't believe in an actual millennial reign of Christ. You're like, what? How could that be? Well, you listen to them, and they're super educated, and you'll be going, maybe I believe that. Maybe I believe. See, that's why it's so important for you to know what these things are. Just ju- So many people just jump in in an eschatological end-time study, and they don't have any of the moorings or parameters. And, man, they're, you know, you get people, and they sweep you over here, and they're swept over here. And they got a little, that's what I find all the time. People got a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You know, like some sort of fusion of eschatology that really is like, I'm like, do you, are you grounded anywhere? Because it can be so confusing if you don't understand that. So you have amillennialism, you have postmillennialism. Now, you find there's a postmillennialism, I told you last week, it went out of style after World War II. Postmillennialism is the world is getting better and better and better. Y'all are all like, well, that is a little bit off. Well, you should listen to a postmillennial tell it. And they will tell you that extrapolated out over time that we might be in this little place in time and we're in a trough. And so it looks bad. 
But over time, if you were to extrapolate it out on a graph, you would see with all the troughs and everything, there is a, it, there is a moving uptick of things getting better and better and better. And you're like, well, maybe that is true. But see, it's not the question of what we believe. It's what is true. See, because we can't believe something unto truth. Does that make sense? You can't believe something and just believe it with all your heart and be super sincere and make it true. Um, end times. Yeah, I don't, have a, I don't have a title per se. Just session two. So if we look at that and we, and we, no matter how sincere we are, I made the point last week that Jim Jones was sincere. The Branch Davidians, sincere. So are these last people who've committed mass suicide because some alien abduction, sincere. And guess what? We're actually going to talk about aliens. You can't study end times and not get into the wackadoos of UFOs and aliens. I, to- I ordered a book from a Christian um, an- uh, uh, astrophysicist, and um, it's called, it has a funny title, it says something like Little Green Men. And I told Mike, I said, this book's coming in, so don't think I'm a nut when you see it. <laughs> yeah, he will. He'll be like, what? She's, I tell him sometimes, okay, I'm going to do a deep dive, tie a rope around my waist, and if you need to, just pull me back, you know, just start pulling. <laughs> Let's hope I don't cut it somewhere. <laughs> that I'm lost now. So, y'all, <laughs> that's right. You'll know if I'm like, you know. So as we look at this, this is super important. So we have all millennial, post-millennial, that the post-millennials, they don't believe in a millennial reign either, but that, that the kingdom is going to be coming, that we as the church are ushering in the kingdom. It's called kingdom now theology. Do I believe the kingdom is now? Yes, I do. The kingdom of God is already and not yet. Already and not yet. So we are embracing the aspects of the kingdom of God. So when I read postmillennialism, there's some points in there that are super good because they jump on the fact you're going to find, now I don't know that Bethel is, but they're accused of being. And I, and I say I don't, they're accused of being because until I hear some leader of Bethel say, yes, we are this, I don't, everything else is just noise. You know what I mean? You can just say anything about anybody, anytime, anywhere. But I have heard that Bethel's belief is postmillennialism. Do I, I haven't heard a leader say that. I've heard an opponent of Bethel say that. So it could just be them making a accusation. So, but what, what meaning that, that we are bringing the kingdom of God and giving the place that once the kingdom, once the earth gets to a place that the, that the saints are reigning and everything is just going so good, that, that's gonna, that, that the Lord's going to look down and go, oh, now the earth is set for me to return. Now, here are my big, 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 big problems with both postmillennialism and amillennialism. It comes down to, as I've studied this, I could have brought a stack of books that I've read like this. And if y'all want a reading list, I'll be happy to provide you one. And so this is what it comes down to for me. Three basic questions. In what system of interpretation do we use? First, what do you do with Israel? What do you do with the church? And what do you do with Satan? 
It comes down to those three things. All millennialists and post-millennialists, they believe Satan is already bound. We're doing a terrible job then. So they believe that there's a facet of his binding that's already been accomplished. Now, I'm sure if you get in there, see, there's as many. Eschatology is like pick a card, any card. And so, but see, we see that. But then they would have explanation for that as well. And so, so what do you do with Israel? Now, here, this moves us into what probably, as I did the survey, most people in this room, not all, are pre-tribulation rapture belief, and you are premillennial. You believe, I'm teaching as a premillennialist. I believe in an actual physical reign of Christ on the earth. I believe that because I believe it best fits the biblical truth. And I believe it best deals with what becomes of Israel, what becomes of the church, and what becomes of Satan. And those three things. Now, I will tell you, in premillennialism belief, there are two different camps. And we're all going to fall in one or the other. If you, in fact, are not all millennial, postmillennial. If you are, just study. I mean, you know, good luck with that. I, I don't have any, I'm like, we hold it loosely, right? We hold our beliefs on eschatology loosely somewhat because we haven't seen it yet. Just like when the Jews, when the Jews are looking for their Messiah to come, they hadn't seen it yet. And so there was some different interpretive structures for them, so much so they had a belief in there could be, possibly be two Messiahs. Now that sounds crazy to you because crazy because you're looking from this side of the cross. But what if you were looking from the other side of the cross and you read... And you read scriptures about surely he is wounded for our transgressions. He is bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by stripes we are healed. What if you looked at Zechariah and the one whom they had pierced, and you saw this suffering servant who was going to die, and then you also saw this conquering king who was going to be full of glory, and he was going to crush the, the, the enemy under his feet, and, his, and in Isaiah 66, his blood was going to, the blood of the nations was going to be spattered on his garments. How would you reconcile those two messiahs? See, so they came up with the belief in Messiah being Joseph, not the son of Joseph, not the son of, not Mary's husband Joseph, but Joseph, Genesis Joseph, the one who was the suffering servant. And Messiah being David, the son of David, the conquering king. But which is it? It's both. See, we from this side of the cross, our clarity is so good now, isn't it? He's both, right? He came the first time as the suffering servant, correct? What's he coming back again? It's not one or the other. So see, when I say, when I say that we look at the Jews and we go, how could they miss that, bunch of morons? See, we from this side, it's clear. Hindsight is what? There you go. But now we are looking in the same way to the end time with the loss of clarity. So that's why I say we humbly approach this topic and please do not drive your stake in your belief to the point that you become divisive and mean. 
because even the ones who are believing in the amillennial, and that sounds so crazy to us, they're still our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is my point, and this is where I have come to you here. It took me months, months to have my position erased. Now, what does that, how I was raised in my tradition, because every time I read, I knew my system. You know what I mean? I read it right back into the Word of God. It was like a preset, like when you turn on your computer and all the default settings are there. They were right back there again. It, you're like, Andrea, why would you want to do that? Because I wanted to look at it as a critical observer, and I want to be convinced of truth, not convinced of my belief. And now here, this is where it takes humility, but not only humility, it takes courage. Because I'm telling you, there's nothing more scary than rattling your belief system. When you come to a place where you might be wrong about something and you see you're wrong about one thing, what does it do about everything else? There you go. And you get in that real shaky place for a second. And so it's difficult to look at this. And so I, I've taught in times not a great, great deal because, you know, really my system of theology, a pre-tribulation rapture, kind of made it a non-factor. Because why do I need to look at that? I'm going to be gone. But then, then I started thinking. I started thinking, what if I were to look at this as a person who didn't think I was going to be gone? What if I came to the end times? See, I'm not trying to take you off your belief, but I am. I think an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And in, I worked in insurance for years, and I sold insurance policies to people who hoped they never had to use them. Right? But they still bought them. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So as a teacher of the Bible, I would rather see you prepared and flying through the air at a pre-tribulation rapture than walking on the ground looking at the Antichrist and going, everything I believed is wrong because there you are subject to deception. And so that's my reason for this. So if y'all come up here and you're like, what does she even believe? You may not know. I don't want you to know necessarily. I will tell you where all millennial, post millennial, I can't teach it from that perspective. I'm going to teach that here from my place. I'm going to be critiquing that perspective all along. But when it comes to historical premillennialism or dispensational premillennialism, you're not going to know where I'm at. You know why? I can't 100% prove to you that there will be a rapture before the tribulation. Now, some of you, that just scared the pain. You're ready to run out. Now, see, you can say, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. We're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. We're not. That's where I, I'm, guys, I've been doing, I have been, Mike, did I, you saw the book, the stack of books I've read, right? 
I have been, I have read a stack, I have read a stack of books. Now, I want to read you this. Now, this is a, this is a tried and true pre-rapture, pre-millennial theologian right here. Okay, I've read, I've read every word of this book, or just about, several times in places, because I've used this for years. Okay, I just want to read you this. As he teaches on the rapture of the church, he believes that there will be a pre-tribulation rapture. I want you to, what time do I have left? I want you to hear. I'll tell you when we're done. Um, okay, right here. There are several spiritual conditions identified. Ephesus is the church that is caught up in works and has lost its primary focus. This is going to be the first three chapters of Revelation. Smyrna represents the persecuted church that is faithful even unto death. Pergamus and Thyatira represent the compromising church. Unfaithful believers in these churches will commit spiritual adultery by following after false teachers. Jezebel, false doctrine, they will be a part of complacency and a works based on the wrong motives. Sardis represents the spiritually dead church. People in this church may look like Christians and appear alive, but in fact they are spiritually dead. Many from this church will be deceived and take the mark of the beast. Wait a second. What? Many from this church will take the mark. I thought the church couldn't take the mark of the beast because they're going to be gone. Just let's listen a little more. Many from this church will be deceived and take the mark of the beast. They are the tares among wheat. So he's saying they're not really the church. Philadelphia represents the faithful church. The letter to this church has several admonitions, but no warnings or rebukes. The Philadelphia-type church will escape the wrath of God to come on the world in the tribulation period. Laodicea is the lukewarm, a complacent church. Laodiceans were so wealthy, they didn't need anyone, Rome or God. Jesus has little tolerance for them, saying that he would spit them out of his mouth. So the only church that he says will be raptured is who? Philadelphia. So at the very least, that's a one in seven. I know, that's right. I still have a chance. So, so see, here it is. Even, even there with the pre-tribulation rapture guy, if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, as most of you do because I read the surveys, you may not even be saved enough to be raptured. That's what he just said. So, but what do I say all that for? What do I sell that for? See, that's where the, 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 it gets confusing. It's like, it's like this. You will be raptured if you're a believer, but you might not be a believer. So if you didn't get raptured, you weren't a believer. So what makes me a true believer? What I believe? Well, yes, but what you believe about what is true. But do I believe it into truth? or does it, So is it the rapture that saves me? Or is it Christ that saves me? See, see, that's now we're back to the theological. See, this is, this is me. This is me. Nope. I mean, that's how, this is how. And so I'm telling you all this. I've been all over the place, and I've come out at one spot. I'd rather have you prepared and saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, whether you get raptured or whether you got to look at the Antichrist square in the eye and say, take my head, buddy, because I know it's going to be all right. 
don't want you shaken because you can't even face a cloudy day on a Sunday and come to church. You know what I'm saying? It might rain. I shouldn't go to church today. And thinking you're going to be a candidate. And then here's my other big problem, guys. You want to know my big problem? Is you get all these people raptured, all these lukewarm Christians who are seeker-sensitive Christians who don't know their, I don't want to say their butt from the holy ground, but I nearly did. I nearly said that. So they don't have, you know, they don't, they don't know one end of theology from the other. They don't know anything. All they know is they don't, they don't want to be inconvenienced. They don't want to get uncomfortable. And they want to make the first train out because that's the best possible option. So, you know, I've got this group of people in the so-called, you know, this American church where we've got this mega church mentality of paid performers and worshipers who, you know, they can only worship if everything's good. But if it gets uncomfortable, then God, they're mad at God. Six ways from Saturday. Right? I mean, this, so, okay. Now, this are going to be the people. They're going to be raptured out. Poof. Gone. Then all of a sudden, you keep reading in Revelation, you got these. See, the word church is not mentioned after chapter 3, but the word saint is mentioned 14 more times. The martyred saints, the ones who are enduring saints, the ones who are, who are sold out the whole route. And I'm like this. I'm like, you're telling me the chicken church is gone? And all of a sudden, the green berets rise up? I've been waiting for the green berets over here. Uh-uh. So I'm a little messed up there. You know what I'm saying? So here, here's my, here's my deal. Now, see, that may sound good to you, but theologically, that dog don't hunt. It don't hunt. So I'm not, I'm not going to take questions. I know you probably got lots of comments, but I don't have time for it. I did the study. So here we go. And that's just how we're going to go in here. That's just how it's going to be. Okay. You got, you got opinions? I got them too. But there again, what I believe doesn't necessarily mean it's true. How many, and what is the greatest, what is the greatest possible enemy to you in these last days? Deception. That's it. So here we are. Now, I just want to start here, and we'll get to Matthew 24. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? That Songs of Solomon 8 and 5. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? I hope to unpack here probably a version of the Lord's coming that you probably have never heard before. Now you're like, what? It's not, it won't be today. It'll be out. It'll be over the course of this time. The bride of Christ is going to be a fearsome thing to behold. She's not going to be this harlot Jezebel who has eyes forever, Tom, Dick, and Harry. She's going to be a chaste virgin who is in love, pure, 
pure, when I say virgin, pure, without spot or wrinkle. She will not be painting her eyes and looking at every single thing in the world. Revelation parallels. You read it this way. It parallels in part of it. Lots of parallels, but here's one major one. It parallels a pure bride against a filthy harlot. There's lots of parallels like this. And as I began, I thought, my gosh, there's all kinds of parallels. There's a believing people, whoever you say those people are. And there is an unbelieving people. So as we look at this, we're going to look at Daniel's 70th week. So I I mean, some of you are like, I'm not ever coming back. That'll be fine. Who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? It will be the bride of Christ. There is neither, here's Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. How many? <laughs> Jew? Jew, Gentile, one. Male, female. Um, where's the other one? Slave, free, one. Now, he did this by ending the system of the law, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.15, by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. Now, He's ended the system of the law with its commandments and revelations. How many of you are saved by the law of Moses? Raise your hand. Okay, I didn't figure any hands would go up. How many of you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and you're attached to the, you're attached, see, look at us all. You're attached to, well, no, you're attached to Abraham. He's your father Abraham and many sons. You know that was a theological song. (laughs) Let's just praise the Lord right on. You know, Father Abe, you're, you're part of it. This is, see, we're ta- in Christ. We are saved by faith. And we are the, our covenant that we come to is the covenant of Abraham. That's our covenant. And so that's before Moses. See, you have to know some Bible here. That's before Moses. But see, who is still attached to Moses? The Jews are still attached to Moses. Now, you're like, well, there, there's some. <laughs> now, see, here's a, here's a big problem. All millennialism came out of the Reformation. Who's the guy who was over the Reformation? Martin Luther. That's the Lutherans. They came out. They came out. He was a diehard, diehard supersessionist, a replacement theologist. He believed that the church was the true Israel. Problem, where did the Reformation come from? What country? No, where did the Reformation? Germany. Where did the Holocaust come from? There's a danger in replacement theology. I'm here to tell you, first off, you are not the true Israel. Israel is Israel. And now God has a plan for Israel. God made an everlasting oath to Israel. It's called the promise of Abraham. Whenever, whenever the smoking flag 
the smoking thing, you know, the, when they, he laid open the, the, the sacrifice, and, and what happened to Abraham? He slept. He didn't do anything, in other words. He rested. And the instrument, instruments of the covenant passed through the sacrifice. Something supernatural happened while Abraham slept. Y'all all like this when we're talking about it for your salvation. He made that covenant with Abraham, the father of the Jews. When he said, I will bless you, he, what, it, what it shows there, he made an oath to Israel without stipulation. It's called a unilateral covenant. God says, I'll take care of both sides of it. And he has. Christ is. So the Jews have to do what? Have to recognize Christ. I read that last week. They will look on the one whom they have pierced and they will mourn. And what's going to be, are we going to be the church and the Jews? Not according to scripture, but dispensationalism says yes. It does. I can't get around it. I've looked all over the place for somehow that I could bring this into one new man, and I can't. So it says, okay, so, so I'm like, I'm scratching my head a little bit there. So I'm like, okay, one new man. One new man. Now, see, this may be a little deep. You're like, I thought we was doing end times. This is, this is where it comes from. So there are seven churches in Revelation. Seven is a complete number. Each receiving praise and or rebuke from the governing head, the husband, Christ. So I read that page to you. Smyrna escaped tribulation by what? You're going to have to know your Bible. Death. Smyrna, the suffering church. Philadelphia escaped. How? Well, y'all know. That if there's any, you think, if there's any script, see, you're reading your system back into it. It doesn't say rapture in the scripture. It doesn't say it. So you're sitting, that's what's so hard. You take your system and you're plowing it back into it. See, I want you to look at the scriptures critically, not through your informed theology. I mean, I, this is, see, you, some people are like, I don't like this, Andrea. I didn't figure you would. It's hard. Because you already know what you know. Good job. They're already laid. So when I read that, I read. I want to. I want to mess with your comfort zones. Because I want you to be the kind of Christians that can do either, be raptured or stay. That's all I want. That's all I want. I just want you to be the kind of Christians. That's it. So if this takes me standing up here and just just driving you crazy, then that's all right. Wait, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to Revelation 3 and 10 here. This is your quintessential rapture scripture. Yeah. But it doesn't say rapture. You have to drive it back in, but let me let, let me read it to you. This is where you're going to see an anchoring of this. Because you have kept my words about um, word about patient endurance, about patient endurance. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. See, I can take you to Matthew 24 right now and show you that still patient endurance is for those who are still going to be on the ground. And I can take you to Revelation again another place and show you that too. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Okay, it says keep. That's right there. That's it. Keep. Keep. Okay. 
let's go to John 17 and 5 and see, and let's see if that's how we use that, if that's script, see, we use scripture to interpret scripture. We don't use our theological systems to interpret scripture. So here's John 17 and 15. I am not, at, this is Jesus' prayer to the Father. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world just as I am not of this world. So that points to keeping could mean not removing as in escape, keeping them in the midst of trouble. So which is it? You should be ready either way. You see what I'm saying here? Don't drive your stake in this because if you do and you've got this mamsy-pamsy theology that you're not ever going to have to suffer, I fear that you might be in for a rude awakening. And if not you, your children. And if you're okay with your children being in for that rude awakening and you've got that Hezekiah spirit, kind of like, oh, well, as long as I don't have to. It'll be in your, the judgment will come in your kids. And he's like, meh, okay, works for me. I don't want to be there. I want to have I want to have my face set like a flint toward God and I want to be able to pass on something to another generation that's worth carrying. I want to ask you this question. Does your level of faith, the life you live, is it enough to make your kids stand at attention? Do you see what I'm saying? That's all Mike and I have ever, ever wanted to live for our kids. There's a lot of things we could have done that might not have been sin, but just would have been compromise. You know why we didn't do it? Because anything that is allowed in our life as norm, that is, is like okay, will be normalized in the life of our children and greater still. So when it comes to things like alcohol, for example, Mike and I have made a stand that we don't, we don't drink. You know why? Because both of our sides of the family are fraught with alcoholics and that never came to any good. You show me people who continually, habitually drink that end up bettering themselves. It is a hard thing to find. And it's certainly hard to find in our family. So you're like, Andrea, why are you so hard on this? Because I know... I might could drink wine, beer, whatever. If you drink wine, what's wrong with beer? If you drink beer, what's wrong with vodka? Where's the line? And if you drink that, then what's wrong with smoking a joint? It's illegal. In a lot of places, as long as I step over the California line. Okay. Okay, let's put that right there, right? See what I mean? Now, if I want to live a life that's white hot, so when my kids, they, my, my kids, they went to Covenant Church in Dallas, Hannah and Josh. I've raised Hannah this way. The first time they went, a couple, you know, they're beautiful, young couple, just what every church is wanting, right? The hospitality committee comes up. Hey, we'd like to take you out to lunch today. Hannah and Josh are like, they're just recently married. They're like, okay, yeah. I mean, they got it all going on. They're a biracial marriage. I mean, they're like, they're statistically, I mean, that's what churches want. Y'all think I'm being funny. I'm not. 
I mean, you know, you got, we're like, we're like, we're taking them out the first time. We got a white girl married to a black guy. We want that. That makes us look good. So they take them out to eat lunch. The hospitality people from the, they ordered wine. Hannah went. Because I raised her. And you know what? She called. She said, Mom, I hate these mega churches. She said, they thought because we're young, they could go in there and order wine and we would be cool with it. She said, I will never set foot in that church again. She said, they don't know anything about me. I might be a struggling alcoholic. She said, they don't know anything about me. She said, they assume that I'm okay with that. They don't know if that's a stumbling block before me. She said, these people in these churches have so watered down their belief system. No wonder they've got crowds but no power. And that's, and that's Hannah. That's, she was 22 at the time. Because I'm telling you, it wasn't always easy, Ray. There have been times, there have been times that people in the church have treated us like, I want to say redheaded stepchild. We're getting redheads in here? Sorry. You know what I mean. <laughs> Sometimes just think, it's the only thing that comes to mind. You know what I'm talking about. No red, redheads are beautiful. It's great. But you know the meaning. <laughs> yeah. So they've treated us this way. Do you know that Mike and I had a standing rule? We never talked about the church. Pastors, we didn't talk about despairingly. That's hard to say, despairingly about the church in front of our children. You know why? It was that church that we wanted them to love. How many of you have talked about the pastor in front of your kids? And you expect them to want to go to the church? I tell you, see, you don't know. You don't, I'm, I'm wanting you to raise kids that are, that are if righteous enough to be raptured or tough enough to face the Antichrist. I mean, is this okay? See, I'm, I'm not looking for pansies. I'm looking for green berets on this side of the rapture. Not people who are still green just green I mean like I told you before I don't mind putting a passy in your mouth but if I got to part your mustache to do it we got a problem (laughs) see you see what I'm saying yeah some of you are like what kind of church did we come to okay so now we're going to read Matthew 24 where am I going to go I'm giving you hot flashes because I know. Why, why are you having a hot flash, Renee? Am I scaring? Am I scaring you out of your comfort comfort zone? Well, that's right. Well, I'm gonna tell you this right now because I won't tell you. Time is okay. Let me tell you. Time travel is not a fruit of the Spirit. And so here's, here's what I'm saying. It does you no good 
to try and play the what if rewind game if only. All of you now who are serving at the place you're at, it does you no good now to kick yourself because of what you didn't do with your kids. All you have is today. Today. Not yet. So how are you doing it today? Don't fall up and crawl up in the fetal position and rock and self-medicate yourself with Netflix or something else, something stronger. Because you can't deal with the past that you did. When the grace of God is present with you now to make you into the vessel of honor that you need to be that will reach back into the past and, if need be, that will show your kids a version of yourself that cannot deny the existence of God. You see what I'm saying? Show them something today. open that for me? <clears throat> Thank you. That's, that's good. Okay, Matthew 24. What was it? Come here, Mike. Put it on the, hurry, run, 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 run. Matthew 24. Your witness and your prayer is stronger than the stronghold that your children are in. So live the life, pray the prayer. Okay. Okay, so here we are. 24. We're going to start at 3. <clears throat> 3. And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, I told you all this last week. They were a tuck tail after his last message. The seven woes, that's the point of the pastor is seven woes. You read it. Reach it, Matthew 23. You're like, ouch, ouch. So much so that they were pointing at the buildings going, see all these great buildings? In other words, they were reminding Jesus that they were covenant people because of these buildings temple complex and Jesus said and as they're doing that they're like see these magnificent buildings Jesus they're like you know why we have these because we're covenant people and God brought us back and he's faithful he likes us there's something about us he likes because look at this temple complex and Jesus just turns to him and says not one stone will be left on the other <laughs> and then it's you know it's like see I don't know, maybe I've got this really soft, effeminate, backlit hair Jesus going on, but I don't have that kind of a Jesus in my, I have this, I have a man's man. He's not, he's not struggling with his identity, you know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately. They let things cool off. They're coming back. Who are the disciples that came back to him? Mark will tell you it's Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Those are the four disciples he's talking to. Tell us. When will these things be, and what will be the sign that these things, that's when the temple's going to be destroyed. That's what they're asking about. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So he wants signs about when the temple's going to be destroyed, what's going to be the sign of your coming, and what else? The end of the age. So they're putting his coming. See, now isn't this weird? He's sitting on the Mount of Olives, and they're asking about his coming. So what that tells us is this, Tommy. Matthew wrote this. Matthew wasn't even there. Matthew got the information from Peter, James, John, and Andy. You know, that's Andy. I know, yeah. <laughs> See, they did yeah, so they so they they're there. <coughs> Andrew, Andrew. 
So now Matthew is recording what they are told. So he's recording this. And so he's recording it. You have to think about it with chronology. He's recording it on this side of the resurrection, on this side of the ascension. So now he's put it into context. He's just putting it into context for us. Jesus has come once, and what's he going to do? He's coming again. So here, he's putting the whole thing into context for us. What will be the sign of your coming? So Mark said, you can read Mark and you can find out who was there. Now, Matthew gives the revelation that he's coming at the end of the age to come again. Now, the question was signs. It says, watch out. Don't be led astray. Why do you keep, when y'all drive, how many of you remember the day before we had GPS and you actually had to look at signs? You're, you're driving 80 miles an hour and you're like, which, you know what I mean, sign. You know how to use them, you know. You have to look at the sign. If it says rest stop in 20 miles, what does that mean? There's a... <laughs> There's a rest stop in 20 miles. So we know how to live by signs inform us about what's ahead. There we go. Okay, so Jesus is saying, let's look at the signs. We're going to signify his coming. And so he goes on to tell us, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. Okay, first opportunity for failure is what? You won't know how to follow the signs lead you astray. You won't be able to distinguish the signs because you don't know how to clearly look and rightly divide the word of God. Let's look. What does he say? This is Je- how many of y'all believe Jesus knows his business? For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. That is a historical fact, and it still continues today. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Y'all, have y'all ever heard of those? Okay, got it. But, but, the end is not yet. It's not enough. Not enough signs. In other words, you've seen a couple of signs to Chattanooga, Tennessee, but you're not at Chattanooga, Tennessee yet. You've seen that you're on the right road, but you haven't seen enough signs. Here we go. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of birth pains. Then, then, they, then, what we've done, okay, now he's, he, Jesus is the one using a birthing analogy, right? So I'm just going to carry it on. How many of you women have ever had a baby, right? And you, when you go into labor, you have the beginning of birth pains, right? Not too bad, but you know something's happening, right? And you're dilating along, right? And you're trying to get to a 10, and you're over here in the one beginning. Because when you get to a 10, you actually get to deliver that little sucker, right? And how many of you, by the time you got to your, th- I got one, had, you had twins back here, right, Christina? I bet by the time you got to your third trimester, you didn't care how that baby, those babies got out of you, did you? You just want them out. I see that all the time, that when a woman is in her third trimester, she has this look on her like, I don't care what it takes. Get this thing out of me. 
so see, the whole process is made to get you to the place where you got enough gumption to do what is ahead. That's just part of it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not lying. I mean, I've had three babies, and I know many of you have had many more than me. This is how it works. So here he is. So it's the, he says these are just the beginning of birth pains. See, in the beginning of birth pains, you still might be nervous about the birth. But there, it's beginning of birth. We're talking now about what's known as Daniel's 70th week. See, here, see, th- we're not talking about the whole age. We're talking about a specific season in the Word of God called the last week. It's not called, see, our system calls it the tribulation. You won't find that anywhere. It's called Daniel's 70th week. Now, you say the whole thing is great tribulation. Jesus disagrees with you. He said the first part of it is called what? The beginning of birth pains. That's what he, that's what he, so we're following Jesus' timeline here. He said, this is the sign. You're going to have the beginning of birth pains. Now, some of you are saying, are we already in it? No. No, because he hadn't, see, when the scroll is picked up, we hadn't even got to this yet. When the scroll is picked up and he starts popping these seals, it says it will happen suddenly. In other words, suddenly doesn't mean like, poof, all at once. It means sequentially and one right after the other. It means it's ongoing. When he pushes start on this last week, start has been started. And it starts with the popping of the first scroll, I mean of the first seal. So that's what we're looking at here. He's not talking. Now, we're going to see bits and pieces of this all along the way, right? But those are just, that's just, you're supposed to be looking and observing the signs. So they will deliver then. Now, what we've done now, then, this is the part of the situation where as a woman who is in labor, she goes from one to five, and then she does something that's called transitions. This is the, when Jesus says, then, to carry the birthing analogy, he said, we transition. Beginning of birth pains, transition. And that's a, that's a true thing. You'll see it when a woman's having a baby, when she's ready to, when she's fixing to transition into the next phase, there's a whole physical reality that happens. So then they will, then, here's the transition. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Now some of you are like, but we're out of here. That's fine. That's, well, you don't know. You don't know. It depends. Well, we're already in the tribulation. So if you believe it's before that, you don't have to worry about this. So, so see, I want y'all to think about, the, now you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Andrew, this is not true. Okay, dispensational theology will tell you that this chapter is only for the Jews. Now, you see, you're right, that's just for the Jew. Well, my question here is this, if Matthew 24 is only for the Jew, then is Matthew 28, the Great Commission, only for the Jew? And is any other part of Matthew only for the Jew? You see what I mean? When you start pulling, this is, my, this is dangerous. When you start going, don't worry about it. You're more interested in your system of theology than you are in the word of God. 
Now, am I telling you there won't be a rapture? No. But I'm not telling you there will be either. I only want you to look at this critically. I just want you to be critical. I want you to have the word inform your theology instead of your system of belief informing the word. You see, that's all, I'm, that's all I want. That's all I want. <clears throat> okay, I want you to know what you believe and why you believe it, not know a regurgitated bunch of stuff telling you how to interpret the scripture when you should let scripture interpret scripture. I don't want you to isogetically plug in your belief system. I want you to exegetically pull your beliefs out of the word of God. This is how, this is true scholarship, y'all. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to treat y'all like adults who know how to read the word. Don't listen to what I say. I want you, if anything, I want you to be so shook up that you actually can talk to me intelligently about these scriptures. And not sit there and go, I don't know. But have you seen the new Netflix series? It's great. He calls me. <laughs> anyway, that may be true, Kim. Okay, so here we go. I, am I tough? Yes. But I'm telling you, the Antichrist will be tougher. <laughs> You're like, what? I'm not, no. I'm not, I'm not, no, no, no. Okay. You're good. Okay. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, we're going to get there, but not today, standing in the holy place. So Jesus says, I endorse the prophecy of Daniel. Did he not just say that? Because Jesus is the one who gave Daniel his prophecy. He knows this prophecy well. We're going to look at it too. And we're actually going to learn the prophecy of Daniel. I've been studying Daniel so much. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight be not in the winter on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation. Now we've just transitioned again. We had the beginning of sorrows. We had the abomination of desolation. The Antichrist set himself up in the temple. Now, we don't know yet when that happens because you're going to pretend you don't even know any of this. But if you know anything, you know it's at three and a half years into. And then, but no, that's already, that's in the word. I mean, that's in, those are, those are actually provable things. We don't have to, pro, pro, but here we don't know it necessarily. So here we have the abomination of desolation at the midpoint. Then what does Jesus say the, the 70th week transitions into? I just read it. Great tribulation. So we've got the seven years breaks out like this. No matter where you put yourself, I'm not talking about where you're going to be at, but this is how Jesus breaks out the 70th week. The beginning of birth pains, the midpoint, the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple. We're going to get to these points. This lays out perfectly with Revelation in the scrolls, by the way, in the scrolls and the seals. Because he actually actually gave that prophecy too. So here we have the abomination of desolation. 
Then we have great tribulation. Who's, who's in charge of the great tribulation? Who's, who's the perpetrator of great tribulation? The Antichrist, who is, who is Satan personified, right? So we have great tribulation. Now let's see what Jesus said. Are you all tracking with me? For the sake, okay. And if, now listen to this. There will not be, okay, great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. So if you think this was fulfilled in A.D. 70, if I've got some people in here who are more astute than others, then Jesus said that what happened by Titus in A.D. 70 was worse than anything we've seen thus far, and that's just not true. The Holocaust killed 6 million Jews. Titus in the Roman invasion in AD 70 killed 40,000. And there's a lot of on that too. We don't have time to get to it, but Titus did not want the temple destroyed. There's, that's, Josephus will tell us that. We'll get to that later as well. But so, so the temple was destroyed in AD 70. And if those days, now listen to this, not such until the world began. So we have to, are we talking about future here or are we talking about past? That's what, no, you're not. You're not. You're talking about future. Unless you believe you're talking about past. And then you've got to prove to me that it's past. You've got to prove, prove to me through the scripture that it is past. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'll be worse than the Holocaust. Okay, now listen, listen. So we're talking about Daniel's 70th week. We've moved into the period of time in the tribulation that we call tribulation in Daniel's 70th week called the Great Tribulation. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Not sozo, saved as in kept alive. For the sake of the elect, for the sake of who? The elect, those days will be cut short. Now, depending upon where you stand in your theology, you'll say that elect is the Jews. But I just told y'all we're one new man. Either it's for all of you. See, this is what you have to come to. I want you to leave this class today going, I have questions. So y'all thought I was going to come in here and give y'all and spoon feed y'all pureed peaches? It's not going to happen. I want you to know this word. I have been harping on you people memorizing scriptures and learning the word of God. for. I've been here 10 years, and I have been harping on this. And I still can quote scriptures, and you can't finish them. I'm telling you. You've got work to do in the Word. Is this too hard? I, I mean, I want you, I love you. I love you. <clears throat> I want you to be prepared. I want to see a people who are rapture ready. You're like, wait a minute, thought there wasn't going to be a rapture. See? How I've just left y'all with all these. No matter, there's going to be a rapture, guys. We just don't know when it's going to be. That's the point. So here I am. And if anyone says to you, look, there is the Christ. There he is. Do not believe it. 
for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform what? Great signs and wonders and lead many astray. If it were possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Can't you hear Christ here? See, I've told you beforehand. So if you, if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness. Hey, we've got a secret place he's at. Do not go. If they say, look, he's in an inner room, another secret place, another secret appearing. Don't go. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Whenever Jesus comes, according to this scripture, it will this section, it will not be secret. <clears throat> See, this was the doctrine the Thessalonians were under. They believed that Christ had already came. We're going to get to that too. So when we look at this, we have to understand that Jesus is coming back. And here, I don't have time for y'all. I want y'all to read. Oh, we got to go. Dear God, we got to go. Y'all have got to read Romans 11. You've got to read Romans 11 to know what to do with Jews.